1: This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. I'm Austin Meek with Waco Business News, and you're listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business. My guest today is Eric Tirasas, Director of Economic Development for the Syntex Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. We talk about the emergence of the Latino business community and how Spanish speakers in the area will mold future development in Waco. But first, a Polish artist is in town doing an artist residency. Let's hear a little bit about her perspective thus far. I'm now joined in studio by Kasia Kranczycka. Kasia is a Polish artist who's currently doing a residency here in town with Art Biz Consulting. Tell me a little bit about your work and your life in Poland and how you were connected to Waco. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) So... I'm actually connected to Waco or some artists in, in Waco uh, because I took a mentorship with Ty Nate and Clark a couple years back. So I kind of knew about Waco before. Um, but it's actually really interesting how my hometown where I work uh, and live is similar to Waco, like population, you know, that kind of uh, small community of artists, you know, little galleries here and there. Uh, so I kind of feel connected already. To that, um, to that place. Um, but on the other hand, it's just so much different. The, you know, the way everything is spread here, um, like we talk offline, um, how sidewalks aren't a thing in um, Waco. Um, but in Poland, you know, most of my days are focused on the studio practice. Um, I have my own space where You know, just trying to create better and better art every day. (laughs) Um, How
1: how would you describe your artwork to people who haven't seen it before?
2: um, So the easiest would be it's abstract, abstract expressionist. Um, I think I dance between uh, my love for minimal art, uh, yeah, art, minimal style. But then on the other hand, I just love this expression is bold marks, heavy or vivid colors. So like I'm always in between. One of my bodies of work that I've recently um, presented to, to the world, actually a couple of days ago, um, that, that would be on the minimal side of things, like almost, as I call it, invisible art. But on the other uh, hand, I love mark making, and that, that is what, I'm being, what I've been focusing on here in Waco. Uh, during this art residency, like how I can find new ways to put marks on the canvas. I mean, it's almost impossible to find new ways, but you know, you kind of uh, you're trying to take out, take yourself out of your usual box, and kind of maybe change a little bit, something, one thing in your process to come up with a new mark and and leave like an imprint on that place on that canvas, if that makes any sense.
1: What are your impressions of the artistic community in Waco? What do you think they're doing well? What do you think that needs help?
2: Oh, man, that's, I'm not here to judge. I don't have enough information, you know, um, but from what I've heard or seen, I think it's pretty amazing how um, people have access to art here, how many people are artists. Like, I've already, since I got here, um, get to know a bunch of, People who are, you know, creatives, um, either painters or jewelry makers, you know. It's just amazing how you can be surrounded uh, by so many people and be inspired, I guess. That would be, you know, the biggest plus of having such a community.
1: You had a pop-up show last night. This Sunday at the Art Center of Waco at 2 p.m., you'll have a coffee talk with the artist Ty Nathan-Clark Explain a little bit about some of the backstory of your relationship with Ty, how you got connected with his mentorship, and what viewers could expect if they were able to attend the event.
2: Um, yes. So um, I, I've i been following Ty for years before uh, I applied to his mentorship four years ago, three years ago. That's, you know, everything is a blur. Um, yeah, but since then... We are in each other's artistic lives, if that makes sense. Uh, we follow each other's um, process, you know, new bodies of work that we, that we were uh, or we're still creating. So I think knowing a lot about each other will bring that extra interesting element to our conversation. Because it's not going to be two strangers talking. It's like, do you like my art? No, I don't. Thank you. Bye. You know, we kind of know... Uh, some things about ourselves and our process. So I hope it's going to be, you know, deeper than your casual coffee conversation. But I think me and Ty are going to keep it, like, light and funny as well.
1: (laughs) Kasia Kranchica is a Polish artist who's currently working here in Waco. Thank you so much for telling us a little bit about your story. Thank you so much for having me. It's October, which means it's playoff time in baseball. As the Rangers and Astros battle in an all-Texas AL Championship Series, I've paid extra attention to plate discipline. That's when a hitter in the blink of an eye has to decide whether or not to swing at the oncoming pitch. A batter has about a quarter of a second to ascertain whether the oncoming ball will end up in the strike zone or risk looking like a fool whiffing on a pitch outside the plate. A momentary decision with potentially monumental ramifications. Now, as much as I'd like to tune out all the national news by watching sports ball games, noise in the office sector continues to grow. Many investors who took on debt to buy office buildings pre-pandemic now have their loans approaching maturity. Property values of commercial office space have plunged over the last three years as COVID-19 shifted the way we work. Leasing activity has dropped, delinquencies have surged, and these investors with maturing mortgages face much higher rates to refinance, if that's even an option. I mean, what lender is going to give money on a mostly vacant office building that's not cash flowing? Heritage Square, a city-owned property on 4th Street between Austin and Washington Avenues, was the subject of intense development discussion in 2017 and 2018. After the city put out a request for proposals to redevelop this service parking lot, two concepts emerged a smaller grocery store coom restaurant concept, and a more ambitious multi-use project that included 550,000 square feet of Class A office space that would have dwarfed even the Alaco building. At the time, the city council voted five to zero to start negotiations on the larger proposal dubbed the Civic Center, which due to the pandemic, of course, never broke ground. But had it been proposed just a few years earlier, we likely would have now had half a million empty feet of office space in downtown Waco, gloomily resembling similarly vacant office parks in Austin and Dallas. Just like a batter in the box, the city council has to carefully consider every pitch. Thankfully, this ball was fouled off and the developer didn't get a second whack at it. Sometimes, being disciplined in choosing the pitch not to swing at is more important than swinging at all. We'll be talking with Eric in just a few moments, but first, it's The Business Review with C.J. Jackson.
0: Bringing them back. I'm C.J. Jackson, and this is The Business Review. Trends in workplace design and thinking have been gradually changing, according to Robert Mankin of NBBJ, who's led workplace projects for companies such as Amazon, Samsung, and Warner Brothers. He says that covid didn't introduce new trends, but rather poured fuel on the fire.
3: One of those is the employee's ability to control the environment in which they work, the technology that they use, and have choice in the workplace.
0: As a result of observation and research, his company developed strategies to bring people back to the office in an effective and meaningful manner.
3: First learning was around health and employee well-being. Now it's really fundamental to the work environment. The second item is how an organization connects to its community. Treating the workplace as being this isolated building is really no longer relevant. It's important for employees, but also the communities around them, to feel a connection. I'd say the third aspect, as people come back together in the office, how does the office manifest the values and, and purpose of an organization? There's research that shows that the younger generations coming into the workplace, particularly the Gen Z generation, have a very strong desire to connect with an organization around its purpose. They're driven as much by purpose as by gaining wealth.
0: Mankin says the office design of the future is not just about work anymore, but a manifestation of a company's values and how leadership connects to its employees. The Business Review is a production of Livingston & McKay and the Henkemer School of Business at Baylor University.
1: You can catch The Business Review Thursdays on Morning Edition and All Things Considered on KWBU Waco Public Radio. I'm now joined in studio by Eric Tarasas. Eric is the Director of Economic Development for the Syntax Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to Downtown Depot. Hey, thanks for having me,
4: man. This is, this is such an honor.
1: I'd love for our listeners to understand who you are and your history in Waco. What has you here?
4: What has me here is my wife, Kaylee, uh, actually. Uh, a lot of people have, like, I don't know, they think that I'm the one that was from Waco and I brought her here, but the roles are kind of reversed in that situation, but... Uh, I've been in Waco I think close to five years now uh, married to her for four so kind of and you know you do the math there
1: <laughs> uh, I, I know you had spent time in Abilene you went to school yep. at ACU yep I feel like Waco Abilene Tyler Texas they often kind of get lumped similarly sure. whether it's demographics or the economic output do you see similarities
4: yeah, a little bit um I think Abilene. Probably had just from a percentages standpoint, probably had a bigger chunk be Hispanic uh, than, than Waco does. Uh, there wasn't much of a, a like a African American or Asian population in Abilene. When I was there, uh, the few that were were typically like the Air Force guys that were based there um, and gals, I should say. but uh, yeah, um, similar in that regard, uh, Abilene is probably when I was there, mind you they've grown a lot since I've been gone um but they it was much more quiet like it was definitely like you know there a lot of redevelopment needs to happen here um uh, whereas like you look at the you know you drive around Waco and you're like where is it not being developed um and so Abilene when I was there was I mean quite frankly it was kind of boring uh <laughs> uh so nothing like being in Waco, where, you know, if I'm bored one weekend, I can go to Dallas, do something fun or different, or go south to Austin, San Antonio, two, two hours. And, uh, you know, you're kind of in the thick of things. Uh, Tyler, I will say, I'm not too familiar with. Um, just, you know, I've driven through there a couple times, but that's kind of the extent of my Tyler knowledge. But, yeah.
1: There certainly are a lot of shovels in the ground here in Waco, yeah. major infrastructure projects happening where... You can't hardly drive downtown anymore without being redirected. Good problems, Mm -hmm. though, right? Um, There's also a number of projects that have been proposed. One of them I I noticed on LinkedIn you had interacted with this discussion about potentially redeveloping where City Hall is and where the Hilton Hotel is to have a much larger multi-use park and civic center which is kind of what what Waco is lacking. Mm -hmm. I talked about earlier in this episode how there had been plans in 2017 and 18 for redeveloping that Heritage Square area into the Civic Center, and that project was too ambitious. The timing was wrong. But what do you think that having a more centralized hub in downtown Waco could provide for Wacoans and specifically for the Latino business community? Man, that's a hefty question, man i mean first and foremost like you got to
4: give credit to the people that are putting that stuff together right you know city management city council um all the outside agencies that are seeing like this incredible vision for that area um just broad just super broad kind of scope of development right in it's in a city you have to focus kind of like in your downtown core and then work into other corridors which is why you see a lot of work being implemented um you know for the last five years on Elm Avenue, there's work being done on LaSalle and you know currently working on on work in corridor development in the 25th and 26th Street corridor as well. Uh, but specifically downtown, um, I think putting all of these different entities, whether it be uh, you know City of Waco, Waco D, um, and then a slew of nonprofits, I assume that will also kind of fill in as well. Having all of that kind of like centralized will really help, uh, you know, not just like business owners in Waco, but just like people that are needing like help, whether that's mental, mental, you know, health uh, resources, uh, financial health resources, uh, all that kind of stuff. But uh, knowing that all of that's centralized, you know, if, if I'm trying to start a business, for example, like I know like, oh, well, I know startup is downtown. I know XYZ chamber is downtown. I have all of these resources uh, made available to me. And from a Latino perspective, like, I don't know that they, that population has known of an area that they can go to that they can knock out. I need my permits here. I need my, um, my uh, um, like, health inspection license for my restaurant or whatever it is. If you can knock out all of those things going to one centralized location as opposed to like, oh, I got to go to MCC to knock this out or I got to go to the county to do this or I got to, you know, think about how much time that wastes, like just, just the runaround. Of of trying to start a business, let alone like actually running it and being there day to day.
1: So, is that something that the Syntax Chamber will help your members with? Is here's kind of the path if you want to start a business, you got to talk to this guy here, that gal there.
4: Yeah. Um, so there's there's kind of a plan in place where um, there needs to be like a simple to use guide, right? For someone that is looking to start, they have this idea. Okay, well, go to SBDC. They, they might help you write up a business plan, even, and uh, they'll tell you how viable your idea is. They'll tell you, oh, you wanna do a coffee shop? Well, let's look at how many coffee shops there are within the vicinity of the spot that you're looking at. They'll tell you all these things, and it's a free resource. People don't think, don't know that that kind of thing exists and just go out on their own. And that's why a lot of times places like that, like they fail because they don't do the research. And I think that's kind of where the Hispanic chamber, African-American chamber, like we really were trying to step in and educate folks like, Hey, like there's a bunch of resources. Just come to us. Like we'll, we'll help you along the way. Like I'm not going to stand here and say like, Oh, I know exactly what you need to do. I do not (laughs) like, but I can find the folks, you know, we can all find the folks that do know those answers. Um, so yeah I mean it's it's I think the development of downtown's really gonna be super interesting, and I think the city management and the economic development teams's got it very front of mind to make sure that all of that space is gonna be accessible to the local small business community um so yeah i'm I'm looking forward to to that and i'm i'm gonna find a way to be involved as well. <laughs>
1: You are someone who is tied into the Latino business community here. I wonder from your perspective, Eric, what you see as the biggest issues that the business community is facing. And then after that, I'd love to know what you think are some of the opportunities that they have looming. Yeah.
4: Uh, I, th- I mean, there's, there's cop-out answers, right? Like access to capital is going to be like top, 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 all, all the time. Um language barrier issues is always a problem at times, um, you know, just from basic, like, how do I fill out this form and not not knowing exactly what said form says. Um, because, you know, I learned English as a second language myself, and like, not that that's an issue, um, but when you translate something, the retention rate isn't 100%. Like, it's typically like 80, 90% of what you're translating. So there's always that little gap. Um, and I, I do think that that's been an issue for some folks. Um, but I don't know, man. The Hispanic community is like really inspiring when it comes to small business and startup. Um, you look at some, I don't know the data off the top of my head, but um, the startup rate for a Hispanic or Latino-owned small business is like at least twice the rate of any other demographic I mean, it's it's astronomical. Now, where we run into issues is the growth rate. It's like it tanks, Uh, and that's kind of where like we we being the Hispanic Chamber like really want to step in uh, with resources like Escalando, which is you know
1: small business like workforce development workshop held in Spanish. We're hearing from Eric Charassa, director of economic development for the Syntax Hispanic Chamber. Eric, just your opinion why do you think there is such a high ratio of businesses being started by Latinos, regardless of whether they end up lasting or not? Is it because they're not able to access other opportunities and so they just say, hey, I'm going to do it on my own?
4: Yeah, I I think part of it is just like culturally, you know. Um, My dad's a small business owner and part of that was just because, you know, he wants to do it all on his own. Like it's just, it's kind of a cultural thing. Um, I also think that part of it is, You know, let's talk about legal status. Like if you're not here with the proper documentation, like your opportunities are pretty limited. So oftentimes those people start construction companies or start working in restaurants and then make their own restaurant and all that type of thing. Um, And so you have all of those things, too. But a lot of immigrants come to this country because they're hungry. And they want to prosper and they want to provide for their families. And I think that that hunger you don't see in other demographics quite as much because they didn't leave a bad situation and come to a good one and want to provide uh, a better life for themselves and their families. Um, I'm sure there's a slew of other reasons, but from my perspective, like those are just like top of mind.
1: We see in economic development the – glittery object, Mm -hmm. which is the big company that might come to Waco and set up a manufacturing plant here, what often is not as shiny, but in fact brings more prosperity for the Waco community is helping those Waco businesses that maybe have 10 employees Mm -hmm. grow to 20 or 20 grow to 50. When I'm thinking about opportunities for the Latino business community in Waco, that seems to be one of them where there are clearly a lot of businesses being started by Latinos, and they aren't lasting. Mm-hmm. What kind of support could be given, whether it's through the chamber or whether it's community members like me who want to have a more diverse business community? What kind of support can we be giving these business owners to help them keep that business open? Sure. I mean, the easiest thing is to go shop
4: there or go, you know, be a patron, right? Um, I'm always going to say like shop local first. Like that's just the easiest way to support a business and help them stay open. Uh, I do think that there is a little bit of a gap uh, when it comes to like second stage growth for some of those businesses, meaning like, do they need uh, more education? Uh, You know, do we need to formalize um, some sort of program for folks to have, um, you know, more in-depth knowledge of, their business and, and other things that they should be looking at as far as, um, you know, some of the needs that they have in their growth.
1: When you're thinking about the Latino businesses in Waco that have reached that second stage and reached the third stage, mm-hmm. what are examples of that so people can know? Mm-hmm. Like some businesses that. Yeah. Like I are mean, there businesses? I'd imagine there's businesses on that 25th Street corridor that have. Been open for more than five or 10 years. Yeah. Um, I'm I mean, thinking of one in particular on 18th Street. Mm-hmm. There's a cobbler, uh, the Waco Shoe Hospital. Okay. And he's a Latino business owner. Yeah. I interviewed him a few years ago and he's been there for, I think, 30 plus years. Mm-hmm.
4: I think a lot of that's just like reputation and, and just being there, right? Uh, I mean, the easiest example for me and close friend of mine is uh, Elados Lazteca, La Eddie, right? He's got, they've got three locations, looking at a fourth, and, you know, the brother's got a couple up in Dallas. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's some people that I don't know about that are at that, at that position. I mean, a lot of these construction guys, man, their crews are insane. Like, they're, they're, they're having like 10, 20 plus people that they employ full time. I mean, you know, they might be subcontractors and all that, but. They're keeping them busy. You're talking about some money that they're moving. So, I mean, I'm, there's, I'm sure, plenty of examples. But, yeah, I mean, you, the easiest ones are just look at that.
1: If we have friends listening to this program who like what you're doing at the chamber and they want to support it, I want you to talk a little bit about the inclusivity of the chamber. One thing I really mm-hmm. like about the the Syntax Chamber is that, you guys do these cafe and pan dulce. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Fridays, you yeah. know, go have a have a cafecito, have a little <laughs> um a little bun. Um but gringos are allowed. Mm-hmm. It's not just for the Latino business owners. And I think that what you're doing and what Andrea Kosar is doing is helping all of us understand that supporting the Waco business community and supporting the Latino business community is not just for Latinos, that's right. for everybody.
4: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll follow that up with a question, like, do you like tacos?
1: Man, canto tacos. Yeah.
4: See, like, it, so it, you know, it's it. Yeah. I mean, you're you're building a community where you know. I know our organization name has Hispanic in it, right? But you can't just focus on one niche of your community, right? Like, it's benefiting everyone. So if we're supporting a Hispanic-owned business, it's gonna have patrons that don't necessarily fall into that, you know, race or, or, or ethnicity, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, yeah, we I mean, we support everyone. And, and just we're really here for the small business community, first and foremost, whatever that looks like. Um, so,
1: yeah, Cafe Panduces are fun. As we're wrapping up here, Eric, I'd love for our listeners to know something that's either happening in your personal life or in your business world over the last couple of months mm-hmm. that's gotten you really excited. What's something that's happening that's making you optimistic? Of course, October, if you look at the events calendar, <laughs> there is so much focused on yeah. Dia de los Muertos and these other Latino events. But what is it for you that's really keeping you turned on and excited? Man,
4: I genuinely just like helping people. Like, I, the fulfillment that I've gotten, to just being in my role, I, I, I didn't know was going to be to this de- degree. Like, I just had no idea. I knew that it... Excuse me. I knew that uh, it would be, but I had, I really didn't know how much I was gonna enjoy this. You know, previously I was I was a realtor. I had worked corporate, like you know, I, I I have this weird kind of mix of background. But getting into like the nonprofit community engagement, engagement, small business space, like I had no clue. Like, dang, this is cool. Like, I like connecting with people. You know, getting brought on here. This has been super fun. Uh, and uh, I don't know, like it's just, I, I feel like that's what you know gets you out of bed and pushes you to grind is just finding that fulfillment. You're able to change people's lives. Well, man, I don't, I'm not gonna <laughs> say all that, but I, I you know, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, there is, there
1: is that potential for sure. The way to create generational wealth is through ownership, mm-hmm. and particularly small business ownership and the syntax chamber helps people find the tools that they need and the connections that they need to grow that business into a second and third generation yeah. lasting wake-up business. Yeah. Eric Tarasas is the Director of Economic Development for the Syntex Hispanic Chamber. Thank you so much for sharing some of your insight with us and for everything you're doing for the community. Yeah, man.
4: Thanks for having me on. This was this was so much fun.
1: Thanks again to Eric Tarasis of the Syntex Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, Kasha Kranchitska of Poland doing her artist residency here in Waco and to you for tuning in to episode 160 of Downtown Depot here on Waco Public Radio. You can find me in between episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Waco Business News and join me back here the first Friday of November for another conversation with an inspiring small business owner, civic leader, or engaged citizen sparking Waco's renaissance. I'm Austin Meek, And you've been listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business.